Hi, this is Chris Sorensen. Welcome to Brookville Road Community Church Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please take a moment to check out our website at brookvilleroad.cc for all the latest information about what's going on at Community Church. I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in becoming a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Well, God is on a mission And last week, we started looking at the fact that ever since the beginning, God has been interested in people experiencing his grace and then spreading his glory to every single nation. If you were with us last week, man, we just went through a ton of Bible verses that talk about the fact that God wants to redeem people from every tribe, every language, every nation, that people would come to know him as Lord and Savior. Now, I want us to turn and take a look at the end of the mission. So God is on a mission, but there is an end to that mission. And the great thing is we get to see it and we find it in the book of Revelation. So if you would open your Bibles once again to the book of Revelation, very last book in the Bible, uh, Revelation chapter five is where we're going to start. Now, uh, we, we have this very unique opportunity where we get to see into the future. We get to read what's going to be said, and, and we get to know what is going to happen. It, it's just really crazy to fathom that this, what we read, is going to happen exactly. I, I just started thinking about, like, uh, do the Colts play today? I don't know. Do they, I see a Colts jersey, so I'm going to, yes. Okay, Colts are playing. It's like we, we would know the final outcome, like the final score, all the plays and everything that's going to happen. We know the final plays. We know the end of the mission because we have this guy named John, the Apostle John, and God comes to him and gives him this revelation. He sees this vision. And I think about John, and I think, man, this guy is going to have some major deja vu, right? When we get to heaven, he's going to be like, oh yeah, I saw that, I saw that, I saw that. And sometimes in my own head, I'm kind of thinking like, well, maybe I'll lock eyes with John and maybe I've already done it, right? Like you got to think about how amazing this God is to exist outside of time and space to move John in this vision to see what's going to happen in the future. And like, I don't know if we lock eyes, he's going to be like, yeah, that happened like before and now it's happening now. It's amazing to think about what lies in front of us and we get to see the end result of what God is doing in the world right now. That blows your pastor's mind. This is amazing. Revelation chapter 5. In this particular passage, what we're going to read, starting at verse 9, we find the 24 elders. And the 24 elders, they're going to, to have this song that they sing. It says this, and they sang a new song. I hope you don't mind singing new songs. Um, it, the Bible in Revelation talks about new songs all the time. Pretty sure God's not going to get anonymous notes that say, hey, can we sing some more hymns, please? Don't like the new stuff. Pretty sure we're not going to be all stressed out about that kind of thing. Unless, of course, it's to the tune of country music. Then we'll have words. Um, I don't know. I don't even think we'll, I'll care. Like whatever the tune is, whatever's coming out, just like this joy. Here's what they sang. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. Speaking of Jesus who died on the cross and by your blood, Jesus, you ransomed people for God from, here it is again, every tribe and language and people and nation. This is what God is up to. And we go on, verse 2, and you have made them, past tense, already happened, already did it. You've, you've achieved all of this, already done. God has made for himself a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So the mission of God is that God would extend this redemption to every tribe, to every language, 
all over the earth to the ends of the earth for his glory, for his namesake. And what we find when we turn the Bible a little bit more to the book of Revelation chapter 19, just keep turning to the right there, Revelation chapter 19, verse 6, what we find is a picture of all those nations gathered. And this is an amazing sight. And I don't know if you have an imagination that you could use today and try to just imagine the sea of people before God. You know, when we talk about make heaven crowded, that's what we want God to do is to continue to extend this this good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we no longer have to remain in our sin, but we can have salvation through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, covering us, washing us, making us clean. And as a result of his resurrection from the dead, we can have life now and life eternal. And then we have all of these nations and they're gathered. John says, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying. And here is the song that the nations will sing. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. These are the future voices of believers crying out in worship to God. That's future us. That's us. That's your voice. That's your voice that John is hearing. I don't know if like the words on a screen like we've got here or there's just in our head. I don't know if we're going to know the tune as it's coming out. I'm not quite sure how all of that works, but I just kind of picture this moment with all nations, all kind of colors, different languages. I don't know if it's all the same language at the same time or people's native tongue lifting up, exalting God in perfect pitch, like tuning forks that are perfect. The people sitting next to me in worship today are very happy for that moment. And that's coming. You know, what I last and pitch I make up for in volume uh, but in this moment in this moment I think they're, they're both going to meet and that's future us this is the song that we're singing those of us who are going to reign forever in the kingdom of God on earth like here like don't be, don't be thinking in your head like heaven's this place where you know we're up in this cloud and it's kind of ethereal and just kind of just floating around up there. No, we are coming back to earth, baby, and we are going to reign with God. And this peace is going to reign and everything is perfect as God has intended it to be and all nations are gathered there and we're worshiping him. That's what God is doing in the world right now. He's completing this picture, right? He's putting these individuals that John saw, John heard, that God sees down the road. He is completing the picture of his mission, and we get to be a part of that now. And I don't know about you, but in my life right now, maybe in yours, my head is down, like a lot of the time, just kind of thinking about what is happening on the horizontal here and now, just kind of worried about the news and the economy and inflation, the price I paid for gas and my stress and all these kinds of things. And that's legitimate. But friends, God is up to something so much bigger than what is just kind of happening on the horizontal level. God is all about putting together a kingdom for himself, for his glory, all over the globe this moment. Not just here in Indiana, not just on the United States, just all over the place. There are people today that will hear the gospel good news of Jesus Christ. They're going to repent of their sin, and they're going to be one of that number, and we're going to see them in heaven. This is the mission. This is what God is up to, that there would be people from every single tribe, every single nation, and that you and I would be involved because God is on a mission, and he has invited us to be a part of this, and he's on the move. 
And he's on the move in places that we would think, well, he can't be on the move. How could he be on the move there? 1949 China. The communist government told the Chinese, there's no God, he's dead. So they attempted in 1949 to squash the gospel. Right? Let's, let's kind of go ahead and just control everybody's mind and have everybody saying the same thing, doing the same thing, control with tyranny. And they tried to squash it. At the time in China, there was like a half a billion people. A half a billion. And of that half billion, there were known to be 600,000 Christians at the time. And the government's like, we got to put an end to this. There's no God. 600,000, they tried to squash this. And through persecution, through murdering people, through all kinds of tactics and suppression and restriction, yet through all of that, the church of God in China continues to thrive, to revive, and it is alive today. And in the People's Republic of China, there are Christians and it is expanding. I have read that by 2030, there will be more Christians in China than any other nation. That's God. That is what he's doing. In 2011, the Pew Research Center estimated 67 million Christians. Let's stamp it out at 600,000. Church moves underground. 67 million. Thank you. China Today, the Mission China Today magazine, 2015. They reported that Chinese house leaders, okay, all these, all these leaders, all these pastors kind of moving underground, house churches, they got together, they made their way to Hong Kong. And they announced from Hong Kong Missions Conference a long-discussed goal to send 20,000 missionaries from China by the year 2030. Director Jin said, over the last 200 years since the days of the earliest British pioneer, Robert Morrison, some 20,000 missionaries have served in China. There was, he said, a gospel debt to pay off. How's that happen? Right? How, how do they go from like, we're going to suppress, push this out, 600,000 of them, explodes to 67 million, and now they are going to send missionaries to us. How do you do that? How do you explain that an atheist, communist, oppressive, keep your mouth shut about the gospel kind of government from that place over 60 years now, one of the largest movements of the mission of God? How does that happen? God's on a mission. And nothing and no one is going to stop him from filling up that sea of voices and people who are calling out to him. We've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. God is on a mission. Here's the crazy part. You have a part. God is on a mission, and you have a part. God's on a mission, and he has invited you to take part in what he's doing. So what's our part? Well, one thing that we're called to do, I believe, is pray. God has a mission, you have a part, and your part, first of all, is to pray that we would talk to God about the great need for people to know his son, Jesus Christ. There was a, a missionary by the name of Andrew Murray uh, back in the 1800s. He was a Dutch Reformed pastor, theologian, minister. He was serving in Africa. And he wrote a little book called The Secret of Intercession. And here's what Andrew Murray wrote about prayer. Surely if we believe what we profess, that God alone is able to help, that God certainly will help in answer to prayer, all this need ought to make intercessors of us. 
people who give their lives to prayer for those around them. Let us take time to consider and realize the need. Each Christless soul going down into outer darkness, perishing of hunger with bread enough and to spare. 30 million a year dying without the knowledge of Christ. Our own neighbors and friends, souls entrusted to us dying without hope. Christians around us living a sickly, feeble, fruitless life. Surely there is need for prayer. Nothing, nothing but prayer to God for help will avail. And so God invites his people into the mission. And he says, I want you to pray. I want you to pray for those who don't know me yet. You know me. I've extended my grace. You've understood my gospel. You've repented of your sins. You've come to know me. Now I want you to pray because there's more people like you out there. There's people that I want in heaven with you singing right next to you who heard the good news because you didn't keep it to yourself. But pray, pray, pray. Jesus would say this in Luke 2.10. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And so God has established in his sovereignty that we would come alongside in this mission and that we would call out to God pleading for the souls of people who are going down into a Christless eternity. That God's spirit would move on the hearts of individuals that we know, that we love, that we come into contact with. And here's the deal. Every time, every time you see the work of God moving and the expansion of his spirit and revival beginning to happen and lives being transformed, you begin to pull back the layers far enough. What you're going to find is people praying. You will find individuals praying. Back to China. It was in the 1920s when they experienced, in 20s and 30s, when they experienced the Shandong revival. The Shandong revival happened as a result of people praying. C.L. Culpepper was a a Baptist missionary. You can read about him. You can find some stuff online about him. Just a, a fantastic man. And he and a small group of other missionaries got together for four years. And they got down on their knees during that four years. And they pleaded that the spirit of God would visit himself upon China. And after four years of praying, asking God to do just this great awakening and transformation, the spirit of God began to hit every single province in China. That was in the 30s. So it moved into 1949, 600,000 believers. When the government says, we've got to put an end to this. And even in that, God's shown himself as powerful. What happens when you get a group of people who have a heart not just for themselves, a heart not for prosperity and blessing, but a heart for the kingdom of God and souls that have yet to be redeemed? Friends, we need to pray. Pray earnestly that there would be a harvest of souls. That's what God has called this church to be about. That we would be involved in the mission of God, that we wouldn't just be here so that we can have a comfortable place to hear a message and sing some songs, but that we would be on this mission and adventure that God has called us to. And we're called to pray. Every year in January, we do 21 days of prayer and fasting. Uh, This year, we'll do that from January 10th through the 31st. Every Wednesday night, we gather for prayer. I want you to mark your calendar for January 19th. That Wednesday night, we're going to get together. We're going to hear from the missions committee. And we're going to hear about our missionaries and what's happening around the world. And we're going to spend focused time in prayer for missions. Now, this this is important. 
that you and I would be about prayer, not just January 19th, but right now, all the time, praying that God would be revealed, that he would reveal himself through his son, Jesus Christ, and lives would be transformed. So our task, pray. But that's not all. There's something else that I want you to see. As you have your Bible there, uh, turn to Acts chapter 1. There's another important piece that you and I are called to do in this mission uh, Jesus is on the Mount of Olives. He, his disciples have come around him. He's kind of given last words and uh, instruction for them. And this is what he says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. He says, I want you to go to Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere else. Wait right there. Don't move until. But you will receive the power, receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so from this point on in the book of Acts, what you find is the church doing two primary tasks, praying and witnessing. He says, you will be my witnesses. So we find them over and over, praying and witnessing. Praying that they would be witnesses. Praying that they would endure. Praying that lives would be changed. Going out and witnessing about what God has been doing. That is what God is about. And here you and I are, in this generation at this time, holding the baton to the very same things that happened ever since Acts 28, and moving forward, generations of Christians have held the baton and have prayed for the mission that God is involved in and he has invited us into, and then witnessing, you will be my witnesses. There's some things that I want us to see here from this passage. First thing is this, you are called, I have a responsibility, you have a responsibility to tell the story of Jesus. That's the call, that's what we are asked to do, pray and then witness, you have a responsibility to tell the story of Jesus. And maybe you thought, well, I thought, I thought talking about Jesus, that's for, for pastors and missionaries and weirdo Jesus freaks. No, <laughs> that's for all of us weirdo Jesus freaks. That's for all of us to share and witness of who Jesus Christ is. When he says, you will be my witnesses, that you there is plural. It's not just those people sitting up there on that mountain. It is for all of us, you disciples, you are my witnesses. He said, you will be my witnesses. What he did not say was, you will do some witnessing. He didn't say you will do witnessing. We turn, we turn witnessing into a verb. And we think witnessing is what I do for Jesus. It is a noun. Witness is who I am as I follow Jesus. Big difference. It flows out of who I am. And it's not so much when, when we say, hey, do you want to be a witness for Jesus? Like when you come to Jesus, you're a witness. It's not, do you want to be a witness? The question becomes, what kind of witness are you going to be? Because you're a witness all the time if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and you're a witness for either good or for bad. But you are his witness. And with that in mind, with this understanding, like I've got a responsibility to witness and to explain to people the story of what Jesus is doing, think about your week. Did you tell anybody... Did you explain what God is doing in your life this week? Like, were there any spiritual conversations? Now, I don't say it to like make you, you feel bad or feel guilty. I just want us to evaluate. Like if this is the call, like the ultimate destination of God completing this picture of redeemed souls in heaven who aren't about themselves, but they're all about him and his glory being revealed. What'd you do this week with that? How about this month? Were you able to talk to somebody about great things that the Lord is doing in your life. You think about the month. I mean, we've had all kinds of conversations. 
And many of those conversations, really, they're not going to have a lasting eternal impact. But when we talk about Christ, when we talk about who this God is and what he has done in our lives, that has eternal impact. That goes on forever. And some people, when we, when we talk about sharing our faith and witnessing and that kind of thing, we're talking evangelism, man, pe- people put up walls like, man, this is, this is hard. I don't, I don't want to do that kind of thing. Some people, it comes really easy, right? We know of people who just are always sharing. Their gift is evangelism. We're all to be kind of evangelists and witnessing of Jesus. But some people, man, they're just wired that way. I, I think about Pastor McQuan. That man, just evangelism, evangelism, telling everybody. Some people are wired. They've never met a stranger. They're always working Jesus into the conversation. Hi, uh, I'm here for my colonoscopy. Do you know Jesus? <laughs> and it's just like, and people think, well, you're like, you're the pastor. The pastor should have this down. Like witnessing and evangelism, that should come easy to you. It doesn't. It's challenging for me. I, I feel pressure. I put a lot of pressure on myself about that kind of thing because I realize every time like, I get in an airplane, pastors have airplane stories about the people that they led to Christ next to them. I'm terrible at that. I, I, I don't think I've led anybody to Christ on an airplane. I'm, I don't always do it well. In fact, this last week, I thought, I just kind of felt prompted. I need to talk to somebody I'd never met before. And I thought, I'm going to have a spiritual conversation. I didn't. I mean, I, it never got there. So don't look at me like, oh, well, the pastor knows how to do this. No, I feel the same kind of tension, the same kind of pressure. And generally what happens is I get in the way. I start thinking it's about me. I start thinking about what I need to do in this moment when I'm just simply called to be a witness. I I feel that tension, the same kind of tension. Like if I were to say, hey, everybody, let's get our coats. Let's all go over to Schildemeyer and knock on doors and ask them if they know Jesus. And first of all, why aren't you in church today? I don't know. You know, right? Like, but you feel the tension. I felt that. I was in a class at school in Bible college. It's called evangelism. And that's what they made us do. They said, get your coats. We're going to Pratt. And we're going to knock on each door. And we're going to ask people if they know Jesus. Had I known that, I wouldn't have taken the class. Like, ah. It just feels awkward. It feels forced. But again, what I'm saying is witnessing isn't just simply a verb. Now, if God asks you to go door to door and knock and ask if people know the Lord, all right, awesome. Or if it's required for your grade, okay, whatever. But what I'm saying is we are to be witnesses. And that kind of thing just comes naturally. Like think if you're in a courtroom. You're in a courtroom and you're the witness. You're not the judge. So when you're talking to somebody about Jesus, you're not the judge. That's the Lord's job. You're not the lawyer. You're not arguing this case. You're not, you're not trying to convict. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Your job is to be a witness. What's a witness? Well, a witness is just somebody who's talking about what they have seen and what they have heard. And that's what we are called to do. And I think we struggle because we think so much of this, it's on us. I've got to do this. And I have to do it right. And all of the convincing and all of the convicting, that's on us. And we think, man, I don't, I don't have what it takes. I don't have the, all the information. I can't do this. Well, you very well may not have all the information. I, I don't have enough experience to witness. You probably don't. I don't have enough charisma to witness. Yeah, you probably don't. But all of that is you, your information, right? your charisma, your experience. It's not on you. 
And sometimes we tend to think, man, all this, the pressure of having a spiritual conversation. I mean, this person, if I do this wrong, I mean, this could just alter their eternity. And we are not wholly divine enough to figure out whether or not somebody's going to get into heaven. The heavy lifting is on the Holy Spirit. We're just simply called to be witnesses of what God is doing in our lives. That's the call. A witness just gives a truthful testimony. Do you love the Lord? Have you repented of your sin? Have you received him? Have you made him your savior? You got a story to tell. And God wants you to be a witness of what he is doing in your life. I think all of us need to be able to kind of encapsulate what that looks like. And if you're having kind of a struggle, like where do I get started to, you know, sharing my story? Let me give you a little outline, okay? It's real basic. So the first, first part of this, and you can write it down, is before I met Jesus. Before I met Jesus, and then you explain, I met Jesus when and since I met Jesus. Before I met Jesus, and you explain what that looks like, I met Jesus when, and then this is what it's like after I met him. And I think everybody should kind of have this kind of elevator kind of conversation just in a few sentences to be able to explain to somebody else what God has been doing in my life. It, I, before I met Jesus, I was a wreck. I was a pride-filled, selfish, egotistical sinner digging a hole of sin, destroying myself and destroying my marriage. I met Jesus at the bottom of that pit when he extended his love and his grace to a wretch like me, and he lifted me out. And since I met Jesus, I'm not the same guy. It's as if my eyes have been opened, and I'm fully aware and fully alive now, and spiritually, I'm aware that God has a plan and a desire, and he loves me, and I love Jesus Christ with all of my heart, and I put him first. It used to be the other way around. I used to be first, and my life has never, ever been the same. You've got a story if you're a follower of Jesus. And maybe you would say, well, mine doesn't start out like all this bad stuff in my life. Great. Awesome. You still have a story to tell for all those people who don't have that kind of experience, but need to know that even though things weren't really bad, you still wanted Christ to be first in your life. You have a story to tell. You are called to be on a mission, to be a witness. We have to share that. And maybe you'd say, okay, uh, all right. I still have this fear. What happens if somebody asks me something and I don't have the answer? Well, I figured that out. Let me help you. If somebody asks you a question, you don't have the answer. Here's what you tell them. I don't know. I don't know. What about the dinosaurs and the ice age and the, I don't know. What about limited atonement? I don't know. What about evolution? I don't know. I know Jesus. I know he's transformed me. This is the story. This is what he's done for me. Here's the gospel. That's what I know. You and I, we have a responsibility to tell the story of Jesus. Here's the second thing. I have a responsibility to tell the story of Jesus, both locally and globally. Locally and globally. So here's what Jesus said in Acts 1.8. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says to his followers right there, okay, you all, you're the plan. I want you to go, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, goodbye. And he ascends into heaven. And he's talking to them at a time when they didn't have cell phones, they didn't have internet, they didn't have Zoom, they didn't have airplanes. 
And they're like, how are we going to get this done? And by the way, he didn't say, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and then Samaria or Judea and then Samaria and then the ends of the earth. No, he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's not as if like, you've got to follow this line. No, you're a missionary here and there. Jesus instructs them, go to your neighbors. Go, you have neighbors, go to them right there in Jerusalem. You have neighbors in the region of Judea. You have people in Samaria. This would be crossing social and cultural barriers. Go to the people who have a different skin color than you. Go to people who think differently than you. And I want you to tell them the story of who I am and what I have done. You've watched it, you've seen it, and you've been impacted by it. And then go to all the earth, tell them. So that nobody, nobody's too far away from us, friends. Nobody is so marginalized. Nobody is left out. Everybody gets to hear this. And the way that we do this is beautiful in the body of Christ, like a local body of Christ that isn't here for themselves, but that is here for this world and the mission that God has called us to. We have so many missionaries and strategic partners that we, we pray for and we invest in financially. And man, we're just trying to do a good job of communicating with them and staying in relationship. Around here, we, we talk about you being on mission. We call it love the world. If you take 2% of your year, we call this God time, that's seven days a year, and be on mission. And, and, you know, we can go overseas and we can experience what's happening in these other locations, and that's kind of looked different over the past couple of years. But there are things right around us where you and I are called to be missionaries locally. You, you could take seven days a week. You, you, could, you could take an afternoon once a month and partner with some of these ministries. You heard about the Hope Center today. Find a way of investing and spending time. You, you can get connected with uh, Yeshua Society, Restore Church International. You can get connected with Hancock County Food Pantry, Life Choices. If you go to our website, brookvilleroad.cc, scroll to the bottom, click on the word missions, you're going to see all of our missionaries, all of our strategic partners. There are opportunities for you to begin to invest your life in the mission of God to make a difference. Another way that you can do this is through your domain. You, you have a sphere of influence. And the great thing is, some of you, you work in industries and in jobs where you have people that are working with you from other countries, countries that you would never, ever go to. And yet God in his sovereignty is bringing the ends of the earth to us. And we have an opportunity to strategically pray for these individuals and invest in that relationship at work. Some of you, you have great jobs that I'm envious of. You get to travel to unique places, places that maybe even the gospel isn't freely given, yet you get to carry the gospel inside of your heart and you get to be a witness in those places. Have you ever thought God has asked you into that job, not just so that you'd have a great job, but so that you would be a missionary to carry the gospel? Whatever you do, whatever your job, you are on a mission because God is on a mission. He has extended his grace to you, not so that you'd be a cul-de-sac of that gospel and love, but so that you would share it with those who are around you. Here's the last truth I want to share. I've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to carry out my responsibility to tell the story of Jesus. So remember how Jesus started out his statement. He says, but you will receive power. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That means that we have been empowered by God himself to carry out this mission, to accomplish it. That means that every single person in this room has no excuse. 
Everybody in this room who is a follower of Jesus Christ received his spirit. You are without excuse because you have been empowered by God himself through his spirit to accomplish what you can never accomplish on your own. Whether you're in formal ministry or formal missions, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he has dropped his spirit inside of your heart so that you would carry this forward with boldness. You don't need to be afraid of anything. You don't need to be afraid of this culture. You don't need to be ashamed of the gospel. You don't need to be ashamed of what God is doing in your life. You have a powder keg of opportunity on the inside of you through the person of the Holy Spirit because God is on a mission. And he has invited you and he's invited me to pray and then to be a witness because God is all about accomplishing his plan. Remember that sea of people in heaven? Remember that multitude and the wave of sound that is going forward to give God glory? He's going to complete that picture. And the beautiful thing, friend, is he has invited you and me right into that adventure. Let's embrace it. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for allowing us the privilege of understanding, of hearing the gospel, of pouring your grace and your love and faith into our hearts. And Father, as a body of Christ right here at Brookville Road, and we want to be about your business. We just long for this moment when we're all gathered before your throne and we're just praising you for all the things that you did. Lord, we're holding this baton in this season. You've allowed us to be alive right now, not for ourselves, but for you and for your glory. For those who are around us, Lord, we look forward to every tribe, every tongue, every nation being represented in heaven and the opportunity that we have right now, right in front of us to take part in what you are doing. Thank you for that privilege. May your will be done and may you be be glorified forever. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love for you to join us at one of our weekend worship services. For service times and information about BRCC, be sure to check out brookvilleroad.cc. God bless you.